So Earl Morse Wilbur writes, if asked when and where Unitarianism was first organized, the average person would be likely to answer that it was in America or perhaps in England about the beginning of the 19th century. Do you think that's true? No. What would they say? What's Unitarian Universalism? Yeah. We'll talk more about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think he's wrong. I'm not sure what an average person is, but let's just say that if asked when and when where Unitarianism was first organized, the majority of United States citizens would not have a clue. If asked when and where Unitarianism was first organized, the average Unitarian Universalist congregant may have some difficulty responding. And that is not because of any particular failing on the part of congregants. There are a variety of factors that contribute to this, just a few of which we will touch on today. But one of these factors is that Unitarianism has undergone massive changes in its history and significant change even since Earl Morse Wilbur wrote those words just about a 100 years ago in 1925. For one, we are now Unitarian Universalists. When we talk about our history, we are not ta only talking about the history of Unitarianism, but also the history of Universalism and the history of Unitarian Universalism since the merger in 1961. Also, we have changed from once being identified as two Christian denominations to becoming, well, what we are. The connection to that history can feel weak. Are we really the same people? Our history, while interesting enough, sometimes seems irrelevant to who we are today. John Buren's and Forrester Church put their respective fingers on a piece of the disconnect. Our merged tradition is named after two doctrines. Unitarianism refers to a belief in the unity of God, distinguishing early Unitarians from Trinitarians. And Universalism affirms salvation for all people, distinguishing early Universalists from Calvinism and many others that taught eternal damnation for unrepentant sinners. The two come together to form the most doctrinally free of all denominations, which ironically has two doctrines in its name. Now, those two words have been reinterpreted over time um, to, to better fit who and what we are today. But this irony arises each time we discuss our history in the UU and U classes, welcoming new and prospective members into the deeply fascinating, said the minister, the, the deeply fascinating saga of Unitarianism and Universalism and Unitarian Universalism across time. It is interesting to me to explore the political machinations and heightened emotional and even violent outbursts that occurred at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., but they were arguing about what again? 
And if people are new to Unitarian Universalism as well as to the congregation, they are bound to wonder, are these the issues that concern us today? And if not, why is our history important? Who needs history? Does it really matter? My answer, you may not be surprised, is yes. Yes, it matters. It is really not up to us to say whether history matters or not. It does. Not a choice. Just as our personal history matters in positive and negative and ambiguous ways, exploring and understanding our history allows the opportunity for a heightened awareness of how it has shaped us and an increased ability to shape the ways in which our history can influence and inspire us moving forward. We are continuing a story of this living tradition. And the truth is, though we might imagine that we are divorced or disconnected from our history, it continues to shape our communities in powerful ways, ways that we may not even notice. Individuals in our congregations need not even know our history to have it influence the way we do things, the way we relate to the wider community, the way we see ourselves. Let me offer an example. The two doctrines that gave us our name were deemed heresies by what came to be known as Orthodox Christianity. And heresy, as Earl Morse Wilbur reminds us, was long considered not just a difference of opinion, but a crime. So it is maybe not surprising with that history, we still, still sometimes picture ourselves as being persecuted. That is not happening here and now. And yet that feeling lingers from our history and may flare up when we experience suspicion, misunderstanding, confusion, or disapproval in a personal, familial, or cultural setting. And it is maybe not surprising that as a liberal religious tradition that sprang from two heresies, we have decided to accept that as a positive identity. We are heretics, right? You've heard that. A pamphlet provided by the Unitarian Universalist Association to educate visitors about who we are begins with, and I'm not sure this one is still in circulation, It may, but it began with, Unitarians and Universalists have always been heretics. We own the title, as it were. We embrace it. And while that has historical validity and positive applications, perhaps, I think that we may be holding on to it a little too tightly. Maybe it is time to loosen our hold a little on that identity to more effectively respond to these very desperate and dynamic times in which we live. The problem with identifying ourselves only as heretics is that it describes us primarily in terms of that from which we depart. It pictures us on the outside, on the margins, dissenters, critical of the mainstream. It defines us in terms of our reaction, our response, to a perceived orthodoxy. Instead of fully embracing our own history, we are troublesome footnotes in the history of others. 
Further, we have a picture of the heretics in our history as supporting freedom of belief. Yeah, not so much. The truth is they were often just as rigid, if not more, in their beliefs as the people from whom they were dissenting. They weren't arguing for freedom of belief. They were arguing for the correct beliefs, which you guessed it happened to be their own. They just lost the argument. And I know that we have broadened our understanding of heresy so that it is not understood as doctrine that departs from a particular creed. As one of our pamphlets explains, we are heretics because we want to choose our faith, not because we desire to be rebellious. Heresy in Greek means choice. We love the roots of words too, you will notice. <laughs> Now, choice is rightly important to us and is highlighted in our history, the choice to follow our own understandings, even if it departs from what is accepted by those around us. The choice to follow one's conscience, to honestly express not what I want to believe, but what reason and experience and introspection and intuition and emotion has said I must believe. However, polls tell us that fewer and fewer people feel locked into any particular religion and are quite comfortable with choosing a religious community that fits them or often choosing not to be part of a religious community. People are creating families that include diverse religious and ethical orientations and they are inspired to create their own melding and expanding of those traditions. They can explore, if they wish, a host of ethical philosophies and spiritual disciplines at the click of a mouse. For us to declare that they have a choice is no longer a radical pronouncement. The question we must answer then is, why should they choose us? What is it that we offer this world. And I ask this not because I think we should send an army of evangelists out to create converts, but because one poll after another regarding the type of religious community that people apparently long for in this country, what they long for in times such as these, convinces me that millions of people out there are looking for us. We have a responsibility to let them know we are here. As we just talked about, if you ask the average person where Unitarianism originated, they would say, what is, I've never heard of that. We have people come into our congregations at 60 and 70 and 80 years old and said, I wish I knew about this place when I was 20. And we all you know, welcome them and clap, and but how come they didn't know about it when they were 20? Because these polls show that they want a community that supports them in engaging a variety of different religious and philosophical outlooks, sometimes in their own homes. They want to give of themselves without feeling like they're giving up who they are. They want to act from their deepest convictions and open themselves to transformation as they gather new information and understandings. 
They want a congregation that calls them to their highest aspirations, a congregation that provides comfort in the midst of sorrow and discomfort in the midst of complacency. One that supports their own quest for truth and calls them to support the quest of others. A congregation that inspires action for justice and compassion across a variety of beliefs. They want a congregation that puts love at its center and that continues to ask what love looks like in every situation, how love shows up in a world that is desperately in need of healing. It is not enough to say that we are not like other religions or denominations, that we are not really church the way that you are thinking. What happens here? Why is our mission and covenant important? How do they guide our relationships and our responses to the world in which we live? The right to choose is important. The question for us today is in a culture where the plethora of choices threatens to overwhelm us, how do we make choices that matter? How do we make choices that reflect our most deeply held values as so many of our ancestors in this tradition did so bravely. We should not ignore our history, nor should we let it capture us in unhelpful expressions of our identity. Our history provides the roots from which we grow into what we can and will become. What if we, as we continue to learn about and ponder the ancient and inspirational roots of our courageous ancestors in Unitarianism and Universalism, what if we dare to move beyond an identity as heretics? What if we see ourselves as not only dissenters from other traditions, but affirmers of our own? What if we embrace our history as ours rather than settle for being the footnotes in someone else's history? What if we see ourselves as more than an alternative? What if we became an obvious first choice rather than a last resort? What if instead of seeing ourselves on the margins, we dare to picture ourselves at the center of something new? Roots hold me close, wings Set me free. What if we reach out to claim our potential as a religion for our time, offering a practice ground for living in the world which we have dreamed, offering a freedom that reveres the past but trusts the dawning future more and bids the soul in search of truth adventure boldly and explore? What, I wonder, will happen then? <laughs>